Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network. And today's guests are former Iowa basketball player Peter Jock and the manager of research for Big Ten Network, Harold Shelton. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! All right, before we get to our first interview, Peter Jock, quick word from our sponsor, Northwestern University's School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu slash sports. Great opportunity there for anyone who wants to work in sports, maybe work at a place like Big Ten Network. Glad to have the Northwestern School of Professional Studies back on board as a sponsor uh, for this winter and spring. All right, let's get to the interview with Peter Jock. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Iowa basketball star Peter Jock, currently currently playing overseas in Spain, and he's joining me from there right now. Peter, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. How you doing? Doing all right, doing all right. And obviously... Present day Hawkeyes are doing really well right now, tearing it up. You had a great sure. career. Yeah, you had a great career for Iowa as well. So, you know, for Hawkeye fans and Big Ten fans listening, just update us on your stop since leaving Iowa City, what you've been up to. I mentioned you're in Spain now. Take us step by step if you could. Yeah, um, so when I left when I left Iowa, um, I joined the Phoenix organization. Uh, played there for two years while I was playing the G League, G League uh, team. And then uh, last year I played in France in the in the LBN, and then this year I'm in uh, Spain in ACB. So you mentioned playing in the G League here, um, giving that a go. What went into the decision to look into opportunities overseas? Was it like straight financial? Was it maybe the opportunities here weren't weren't uh, playing out like you hoped? How did you decide to play in France and then uh, Spain beyond that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, first year, first year when I went to training camp with the Phoenix Suns, um, I got hurt in the in the after the training camp, and uh, ended up sending me down to the G League team where I where I was hurt most of the year, so I didn't really get to show my show. I didn't really get to showcase anything that first year because when even when I got back, you know, we had a lot of NBA guys on the on the roster, so I was I didn't play that much, and then uh, second year, you know, uh, I played more and I felt like I showcased what I'm good at, pretty much shooting that shooting and uh, also play, play good defense. And I mean, nothing happened after the second year. So, you know, uh, I just decided to come overseas because everybody got different, different paths to, uh, to success. So um, I decided to come over here and, and see what's up. I mean, if they, if they want you on the team in the NBA, they, they'll find you wherever you're playing. And then uh, also financially, it's a lot of, it's better, uh, better over here and overseas. Definitely. So how's it been over there, man? I mean, you obviously have dealt with the COVID interruptions. Um, one thing I always like to ask overseas players, just like the difference between whether it's fans or refs or just the overall culture. Did you have like a welcome to, you know, welcome to overseas moment where it's like, all right, this is different. Just take me through your experience there versus playing in the States. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, playing wise, when I first got over here, 
Um, it was, it's way different. Uh, they have different rules. Uh, the space is not as much like in the States. So you kind of have to adjust. Um, in the beginning, I had to adjust at first. I mean, but I'm a shooter, so it wasn't, it wasn't too much to adjust to. But I would definitely say it's way harder to play here than it is in the States, for sure, because um, it kind of reminds me of college, where they, they do a lot of, um, do a lot of uh, scouting. And there's not much less space. There's, there's no three seconds in the in the in the paint, so you know it's it's really packed in there. And you have to it teaches you to be consistent. So you have to be really consistent. Um, you don't play as much as you want. I mean, everybody play like half a game. So whatever you end there, you have to be consistent, and you have to showcase what you can do. And so it was um it was uh it was a different different basketball for sure for in the beginning, but um. As as an overall uh, off the court, um, it's been nice. Uh, the city I was in last year wasn't as good as this city I'm in right now. But uh, I had it was, I was in France, but Paris was close to me. Um, there's other big cities that were close to me too. So it was exciting. I got to go around because it was before COVID. So I got to uh, explore whenever we had time off and all that stuff. But this year, this year since I got here, you know the the, the pandemic been going on, so we haven't been able to to do anything, uh, pretty much just play basketball and then go home. And uh, that's pretty much it because uh, a lot of stuff is going back on lockdown right now. We, the third wave has hit us in uh, in Spain. So everything's going back down to lockdown. But um, I mean, that's how it is. That's how today's world is. So you just gotta go with it. Yeah, I mean, selfishly gives you more time for uh, interviews like this one. So it's not all yeah, bad. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, exactly. What uh? What city are you in in Spain? It's it's Murcia's. What uh? Mor- yeah, Murcia, Murcia, Murcia. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how would you compare it to like a, a U.S. city over here? It looked pretty big, you know, like bigger than Des Moines, where I know you're from. Yeah. Um. I'll I'll compare it to uh, ooh, kind of like a, a Florida or somewhere because it's, it's the weather is beautiful out here, and you know we have a beach next to uh next to the city, so it's it's some something like that, kind of like Florida-ish. Uh, somewhere around the around the ocean and all that stuff. So, man, nice. get the ball, get to go to the beach. You know, get paid for it. <laughs> a lot worse things to be <laughs> to be doing out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but we have we haven't been able to enjoy all the all the luxury and all this stuff out here yet because of the pandemic, obviously. But hopefully, it goes down before the season's over, so we can go out go out and explore and stuff. Right, man. I'm hoping like spring, summer, it just kind of slowly gets back to normal with the vaccines and all that going on. Um, right. But being over there, you know, it's Friday night there now. You're uh, seven hours ahead, I believe. How do you watch the the current team uh, in Iowa and the the you know top five team that's pretty much commanding the entire country's attention? Are, are you able to watch all the games? Does your schedule interfere? How does that work? Um, no, actually, I've I've watched I think four four or five games so far this year because uh, they usually play while I'm sleeping. Uh, usually, it'd be one o'clock here. And I go to sleep early, so uh, they play. And then I, I mean, I talk to some of the players too next day. And then I also catch the highlights, and that's how I pretty much checking what's going on. But the games that I watched were really good games, so um, I'm really excited for them, and I'm happy for them as a as a team. Yeah, you mentioned talking to some of the current guys. So, you know, you were there. Your last year was 2017. So I assume a lot of these current guys. You know, you had Bohannon, obviously, who I think was a freshman. You were still there. That's how long yeah. he's been there, which is wild. But <laughs> I, I assume a lot of your current guys are, you know, were on visits. You were recruiting them. 
Do you have any stories about recruiting some of these current guys or remember them coming up and having your eye on them? Who, who kind of sticks out and who do you talk to currently on the team? Um, right now, you know, I talk, I talk to Jordan. I talk to uh, Pat McCaffrey. I talk to um, um, Luca, obviously. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, when they used to come to unofficial visit, you know, I used to be around all this stuff. And, um, and uh, Luca, Luke, when, I, when Luca first got there, I remember saying he's going to be special. I knew right away because he was just, uh, uh, he stayed in the gym. He's a gym rat and he would just stay in the gym all day. And he always, he used to always ask me to play one-on-one. Not a lot of players like playing one-on-one. So especially at his position, he wanted to uh, work on guarding a guard. So every, when I, when I, whenever summer in the summer, when I, whenever I go back, he always hit me up and say he wants to get in the gym and work and stuff. So um, I knew he was going to be special. Uh, Jordan, obviously, you know, um, he grew up. He grew up in Iowa. It's like I grew up in Iowa too. So uh, I've watched him since high school, and uh, he's been a great. He's been a great part of the program. Uh, great shooter from three. You know, like obviously he's well, one of the best shooters. Great, one of the greatest shooters of all time. Um, and then uh, even uh, I'm trying to think who else I'd be talking to. Because uh, I'm close to McCaffrey, so I talked to Connor too, and. Uh, so I'm just checking every once in a while, and then they also hit me up sometimes. But uh, Joe, too, Joe, um, Joe been playing well. He's step, stepping up, and uh, they're going to need him to step up the uh, rest of the year for them to be really successful and go far, far this year. So, Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the McCaffreys because it's pretty rare that you get two brothers on the same team. Obviously, you got the added layer of their dad being the coach. But what do you remember about them as they were kind of growing up? You know, you were – four or five years older and yeah. were they hanging around practice a lot? You know, they were in high school. What, what was kind of their presence as you were going through your career at Iowa? Oh man. They used to be in the gym all the time uh, before practices. I mean, I remember, I remember Pat always asked me to play one-on-one, even Jack, the youngest, youngest brother. Uh, he always play want to play one-on-one. Uh, they would come in the road trips. Uh, they just, this is a basketball family, man. And then kind of, obviously he had a, he had baseball too, so he's been a ba- he used to come to a, a practice too, but he was busy with baseball. Uh, just great athletes overall, great family, and I got to re- I got to be really close with all of them, uh, and it was it was great, man, because I see them as my little brothers, and I've been really happy, especially with Pat, uh, with redshirting last year, and I remember kept I remember talking to him last year just to I told him uh, skill wise you can play with anybody, but you know just just make sure this summer focus on on get your strength, getting your strength up, get stronger, stay in the weight room with Maxwell, and because once you get stronger you're gonna be a different player, and um, and he really took that to heart and he he been in the weight room he was in the weight room the whole time and you can see this year he's not where he wants to be yet but you know what I mean it's a it's a process and he's gonna be really special down the down the path. And kind of been playing great, great leader. Uh, he's been one of the best, great leaders on the team. And uh, so, I mean, it was it was great. It was great having them around all the uh, growing up too. So, and great seeing them grow up uh, to now. Yeah, and really cool story. I think doesn't really get talked about enough with Pat with overcoming what he has to, to get back out there. So I'm glad you, you pointed that out. Um, getting to uh, getting to their dad, I want to talk about Fran a little bit because all of a sudden, you know, you kind of look up and he is now. I think the third longest tenured coach in the Big Ten behind Painter and Izzo. So he's been there a while, and he's made headlines over the years, you know, with getting the technical fouls or the fiery personality. Like, not going to lie, like, 
when I've had to meet him for um, some of the stuff we do at Big Ten Network, like I'm intimidated a little bit because he can be <laughs> short if you don't know him like that. Uh, but I want you to tell us, since you're so close with the family, what is it about Fran that, you know, that connects with people? Take us behind the scenes and give us a side of Fran that, you know, your average Big Ten basketball fan might not see. Oh, man. I, I, get, I get asked uh, this question a lot. Uh, but Fran is not what people see on TV. Uh, he's not as crazy as people think. Uh, man, he's a, he's a family guy. Hey, if you see him off the court, you, you will have a different – you, you would judge him differently, man, because at, off the court, he's just a family guy. He loves all his, kid, his kids, his players. He treats everybody like his sons, uh, especially, I know he treated me like I was one of his sons. And the one thing that I really liked about Fran is he keeps everything 100 with you. Um, he wants the best for you, but at the end of the day, he's going to keep everything 100 100 100% with you, and and he's going to push you to your limits. And uh, But off the court, he's going to He's gonna be chill, you know. He he's a family guy, like I said. He's uh, a loving, a loving dad to his kids. If you see him around his kids, you, you have it. Like I say, you not it's not the same friend as people see on TV. So um, I was I was honored to play for him. Um, it was great four years for me, and like I say, I got to be close with his family. So it was a great experience. It was a great four years for you, and and I'm looking back to your junior year. I think that was my senior year in college and I remember you guys got up to I think number three overall in the country but ended up trailing off at the end so like that was kind of the other peak of the Fran yeah. McCaffrey era so when you remember your team and you guys had a lot of weapons as well and you know similar in the fact you got guys who could shoot the ball some talented big men a lot of versatility on the offensive side what do you see as far as like similarities go between your Iowa team especially the one that like I said got top five and then maybe some differences between uh, that team that trailed off at the end and, and this one who's looking to make a deep run in March. Yeah, I mean, uh, some uh, similar, uh, similar alarities that I see with both teams is just the team chemistry, man. Um, if you watch these guys uh, on the court, how they celebrate with each other and how they got each other's back, even with interviews, if you watch that, how they interview after games and stuff, it's, it's just a chemistry that, uh, that that's really it's the same as we had. We had great chemistry, man, and um, we didn't care who was who was uh, scoring and who was not, as long as we got the wins. And and we and we we just didn't care about anything else but wins. And then we also care about each other, obviously. But uh, we stayed together, no matter what, no matter what coach said, what the fans said, what anybody uh, anybody else said. We stayed together as a group, and that's one thing I see about this group. They stayed together. Um, obviously, Luca is uh, the leading scorer but they all have different roles on the team and they're doing that to their best. And um, it's great to have Jordan back uh, shooting. He's shooting like he's looking like his old self now. So uh, the team is just keeping getting, get, uh, keep getting better and better for their potential. I, don't, I personally, personally don't think they have reached their potential yet. So as long as they stay on the course and just keep playing the way they're playing, uh, when March comes, hopefully this, uh, the tournament happens this year, they're going to shock a lot of people. And uh, I have them reading the final four. So hopefully, hopefully they make me and everybody, all the Hawkeyes uh, look good, but uh, it's an exciting team, man. Uh, it's a great team. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. You answered my next question already. I was about to say like, where, where do you got them ending up in uh, the rest of the season? But it's interesting because we've seen them play Gonzaga. Uh, they were a little overmatched, but like that, you know, they competed and it's not like it, I didn't watch that game and think there's no way I would can beat this team. I think they can compete. I think Gonzaga was clicking, you know, Jalen Suggs is the truth for them. So 
that that's kind of the measuring stick. And and beyond that, I don't see any reason. I agree why Iowa couldn't reach the Final Four. I think they've shored up their defense enough to the point where um, it, it's more than enough to you know to uh, supplement that offensive production that we've seen. So I'm excited to see where they go the rest of the way. Excited for that uh, that January 29th game against my alma mater, Illinois, because that got a little heated last year. I don't know if you saw that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I watched that. I watched that game, man. I was, I was, it was crazy. But uh, man, it's, it's gonna be exciting, man. And then um, I hope Ma- Malcolm is watching too, because I'm gonna talk a lot of crap to him while we're playing. Uh, Malcolm Hill. Yeah, sir. That's my yeah, guy. Man. So Dude, he's friends with everybody. I, I swear. I had uh, I had Vito Brown on here like a month or two ago, and he's like texting Malcolm right before. He's everybody's friend. I swear he gets along with anybody. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy, man. He's a great dude. Yeah, that was my guy at uh, at U of I. So we were, that was my neighbor. Um, yeah. All right, so I want you to reflect now on your career at Iowa and just you know when you think about it and reflect, what are some of the memories you hang on to? I know uh, my coworker on Instagram had asked you for your top plays, but um, you know you can go deeper than that. It can be a a certain game, a certain moment, an interaction with the fans. What's something that you know if someone asks you to tell? your best one or two memories from your, your time with the Hawkeyes that you would automatically kind of latch on to? Oh, man. It was, it was a lot. Um, one of them is, um, you know, one of them is uh, when we played Purdue at Purdue. Uh, they were killing us first half. It's hard to play in Purdue, obviously. Everybody knows that. Uh, especially when you get down by double digits at halftime. And I remember this is when I knew our team was going to be great uh, that year. It's uh, we got together before the coaches came in and we told each other, nobody believes we're going to come back. Besides, outside this locker room, nobody believes we're going to come back. All we got, uh, we have to lock in and, and uh, we have to play step by step. We're not going to get, we're not going to get the, uh, the lead back right away, but we got to chip in. And when we came out, we all just so focused and coming back and beating that team that year, because obviously, you know, they had, they were loaded that year too. So. Um, it was great. Uh, that was one of one of my one of the best one of the best uh, feelings that I had at Iowa. And then another one is, ooh, another one. I probably say the whole my whole senior year, uh, just being the only senior on the team and uh, having to lead a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. Um, it really it put me put me in a position where I really never been before as a leader, and I had to learn throughout the season and uh, had to be a leader off and on the court. And um, I had Nick Bear help me also to be a leader. He, he's a great leader, obviously, everybody know that too. So um, I'll say the whole, my whole senior year was just a great experience. I'll, I'll never forget it. Um, it was um, a lot of guys got, a lot of freshmen like Jordan, Tyler, uh, Cordell, all of those guys had to, had to play like, they had to stop, they had to play like non-freshmen right off the bat because um, they had to play a lot of minutes, obviously, you know, because there wasn't not a lot. There wasn't a lot of uh, upperclassmen, so uh, I'll probably say that those two. All right, I'm gonna put you on the spot a little bit here, Peter. Uh, I didn't tell you <laughs> I was gonna ask you this question, but I want you to rank, if you could, um, if you can think of five off the top of your head. We'll do top five. If not, we can do like top three or something. But I want to get your top five shooters for Iowa. It could be. From your era, could be from the current one, could be any time in Iowa history. You can put yourself on there if you want. Give me your top five-ish shooters in Hawkeye history. Um, ooh, that, it got to be in order or just top five? 
Uh, it could be an order if you go through it. Like I'm, I'm looking at even like the current day. Like you know, you got yourself, you got Jaybo, you mm-hmm. got C.J. Frederick's great. Luca, you mentioned, you know, has that stroke. So that's four off the top of my head. But I don't know if, if you had uh, some historic guys because I'm sure you know the history of Iowa a little better than I do. Um, and the you know the sharp. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it in my era because. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, in my era, in the last, I probably say, I'm gonna say the last decade. The last, I'm gonna say, the, I'm gonna do the last decade without me and say just top five. Not you're, in not order. In, you're not included. No, I'm not gonna include myself. I'm okay. just gonna say, yeah, in, not in order, by the way. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna say Jordan, Jared, Jared Utah, Matt Gatons, um, CJ, CJ Frederick up there, and fifth. Ooh, Josh Oglesby. That's very humble, you know, of you not to include yourself. Because I remember, obviously, I remember your teams, but uh, the Big Ten tournament game against Illinois, um, your junior year, you guys ended up losing, but you almost brought them back by yourself. I don't know if you remember that. That was like one of the craziest shooting performances I've ever seen. You, you went like microwave on them real quick. Yeah, hey, I mean, if we rank, if we really ranking it, I, I'm definitely, you know, I mean, I'm in there. But I'm just saying, I'm gonna be, I'm not, I'm not gonna put myself in it. I'm just gonna rank for what That's- I see. That's fine. We'll, we'll rock with that. Yeah, yeah. All right, Peter, before I let you go, uh, just a couple more things. Um, one topic I did want to touch on is, uh, and I didn't want to get too deep into it because, like, your story has been has been told before. Um, I actually just got done watching the BTN Journey episode about your uh, journey from the Sudan to the United States and, and how you ended up in Des Moines and then eventually University of Iowa. And... Um, you know, what struck me was kind of the importance of, of getting a chance, right, to, mm-hmm. to live out your best life and, and, you know, the importance of kind of welcoming refugees in, in the United States. And, and, you know, you're kind of the embodiment of that, you and your brother. And you don't even have to, like, comment on that if you, you want to. But I do think that's, like, what this country should be all about. Like, you're in this awesome position now because you guys, you know, made the most of that opportunity and, and were welcomed. And uh, I just think it's a really, really powerful story. Yeah, man. Um, obviously, you know, uh, like I said, I'm a big, I'm a big believer of, uh, of God. I'm a man of faith. So um, when we came to America, you know, a lot of people help us to get to where we are as a family, especially me and my brother. And um, but just becoming coming as refugees to America and getting to the getting to the level that we are right now, where we at right now, is is all glory to God and uh all the people that help us through through on the way i mean through the way to to get to where we're at so uh it just shows you man when you when you put in the hard work and focus and have the right people around you you can get anywhere you want and you can reach anywhere you want success success wise and uh it's all it's a process you know man so it just you just got to keep chipping away yeah man props to you and your, your family for persevering and everything you guys have gone through to get where you're at and uh one one little hiccup in the road there that I, I noticed from that story was you did start playing basketball once you got to Iowa uh, as a kid, but you didn't really like it and only stuck with it because, you know, you liked that the team went to McDonald's after the games and, and you like McDonald's so much that you stuck with yeah. it. So, so like, I, off that, I got to ask, what's your go-to McDonald's order? Hey, you know, I don't even, I don't eat McDonald's anymore, but uh, it, was, it used to be, it was number nine, it was number nine large meal with a milkshake. And then I would have like uh, chicken nuggets on the side, and uh, and a McChicken. I don't know what number nine is. I don't know if it's still the same thing, but I used to get that every day. And so, yeah, it was, it's a crazy story, but 
that's that's the reason why I, was, why I started playing. Why so I kept you, playing actually. Are you off McDonald's now because of like a health thing? Like you don't want it to yeah. end your game? Yeah, like yeah. I mean, we're not we're not young anymore. So you know, the older you get, you got to take care of your body. And uh, that's another thing, man. I would say to the younger generation, um, trying to learn how to take care of your body right now. And because once you get to the the college, even the high school level, high school, college, and then the pro level, obviously you have to take care of your body. And because if you're not if you're not healthy and out there to perform at your at the highest level, you're not gonna get to where you want to get. And you know that's something I didn't learn until until my junior, my sophomore to junior year is um, learning how to eat better, uh, get enough sleep, drink a lot of water, and, you know, and stay in the weight room too, and also training room. And um, when you're young, you know, you can do anything. You got, you can eat McDonald's for a game and show up to the AU and, and play and you'd be good. But as you get older, you got to learn how to take care of your body. Yeah, those AAU days, you'd be getting, I, I remember we'd be getting like the, the sausage biscuit from McDonald's and rolling up to play an 8 a.m. game. I don't, yeah. know how, I don't know how we did that. Uh, uh, so, all right, last question. What other food are you eating over there then if you're trying to stay away from fast food? Like, I remember in Spain when I was there, I had KFC, and they had, like, five guys and everything like that. So, they, you know, the options are there if you want it, but what are you, what are you sticking with as far as, like, local cuisine goes, either in France or Spain? Uh, right now, pretty much, I cut out red meat, so I've just been eating uh, chicken and fish, uh, like salmon and shrimp. And then uh, chicken. So I cut out red meat, uh, trying to cut out sugar. And um, yeah, so those was the main stuff. Very much. That, I don't really I don't really eat out as much anymore. So some of that paella over there and get some shrimp and chicken. In yeah, there. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Peter, you mentioned, you know, you got to get that sleep. You're, you're uh, on a very regimented um, lifestyle now. So I will let you go. But I appreciate you jumping on, man been a lot of fun uh catching up with you and reflecting on your iowa days a lot of exciting games ahead for the current crop of hawkeyes so we'll be following that and uh hopefully continue to follow you in your career overseas so appreciate you man yes sir appreciate you reaching out man it was nice talking to you thanks again to former hawkeye peter jock for taking some time uh really great dude with a cool story love talking hoops with him um I kind of mentioned him after the interview. I always love talking to him with guys that kind of lined up with my college days. Um, guys who, you know, I watched play from a uh, member of the media when I was in school and, and now, you know, kind of get to follow their their post-college journey. And Peter uh, is, a, is a really, you know, interesting backstory, but also still out there getting buckets and thriving. So thanks to him for taking some time from uh, Spain and continue to follow him in his uh, basketball pursuits. All right, next interview is Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research. He is on pretty much every episode during football and basketball season to go behind the numbers, break down what's going on. He really can uh, verbalize the happenings in, in Big Ten football and basketball in a way you know most can't. Very talented. Um, eye for the game. In this case, it's Big Ten hoops that we talk about in depth, um, kind of catch up, get everyone up to speed since we last talked a couple weeks back. Um, talk about teams that are playing well right now, your Michigans, your Minnesotas, um, Iowa, Wisconsin. Talk about some teams that are scuffling a little bit as, as the grind of the Big Ten schedule picks up. Um, teams that are on pause as well due to COVID. 
So we talk about uh, a little bit of everything with Harold, and he does a great job as always, so we'll kick it over to him now. It's Take 10 Podcast Discussion with Harold Shelton. All right, I'm very pleased to be rejoined by Harold Shelton back in the new year. Harold, I know uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm did a whole episode about how you can't say Happy New Year, like after the uh, first couple weeks or first week or so, but I haven't done a podcast with you since the end of December, so I'm going to break that rule. Happy New Year, man. Hope you're holding up all right, even though it is already like January 20th. Uh, Happy New Year to you as well. Um, My dad said Happy New Year to anybody at any time. So I kind of had that in my blood. It'll be March and he'll go out and say Happy New Year to somebody. So uh, I do remember that episode, but, you know, I think my the influence from my dad kind of sticks with me a little more. So I'm more than fine hearing that on January 20th. I feel like so much has happened. This always happens like when I take a little bit of a break or, uh, you know, we go a while between episodes. It seems like a million things happen between our discussions. And uh, that that remains true this time, including in Big Ten basketball. Uh, We're in a much different spot right now than we were at the beginning of January. And since then, I think a few things have been confirmed and then a few questions have popped up. Uh, First off the top, I think, despite their loss this past weekend to Minnesota, uh, the Michigan Wolverines are a legit threat. They're not playing around. Uh, they sent kind of a message when they blew out Wisconsin uh, a week or so ago. So what uh, has jumped out to you about them and why they've been so successful? Because I have a couple ideas just as a as an observer about what's gone right for them, but I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on it. Uh, I've been very impressed uh, with their defensive intensity and their energy. Um, even in that Minnesota game, you know, they were losing pretty big toward the end, but they were still fully engaged. You know, the fact that, you know, they get a bucket, they're down like 15 with, you know, a minute left and they're still chanting defense, you know, on the bench. Like those guys are fully engaged for the full 40 minutes. Jawan Howard's got their full attention. Um, and I just think that, you know, they defend like madmen. You know, Shondi Brown is a guy that will get in your grill. You know, we've seen it from Eli Brooks, who they need back desperately, kind of still. I think he's the guy that makes it all go. Um, And, you know, he missed the Minnesota game. So, you know, hopefully for Michigan, he'll be back. Uh, But Franz Wagner is another one who's turned into a really good two-way player. You know, they've got a lot of length. they got a lot of speed. And obviously Hunter Dickinson, when he's rolling, you know, he provides that offensive component when they're struggling to get a bucket, you can nup it into him and, you know, likely get two points or get to the foul line. So they seem to be pretty complete. The only issue for them is probably turnovers. Uh, but, you know, that's the issue with a lot of teams. So they seem to overcome that with defense. Why do you think the defense has improved so dramatically? Uh, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like last year they weren't a great defensive team. I just remember those shootout games with, like, Iowa and Purdue where a lot of points be be uh being put up and then earlier this season I think a lot of reasons or a big reason why people doubted them early you know they struggled with Oakland they're giving up a lot of points early and really tightened it up so why what do you think has changed besides you know Howard I guess stressing it more and emphasizing it more it's interesting because even last year they were like top 30 uh defensive efficiency wise I think they were like 28 um, their 10th this year. And so they're actually, they actually joined Baylor as the only team in the country that's top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency this year. Um, I think they're more well-rounded 
uh, this year. I think they have the ability to switch a lot of different things. Uh, when you have Livers, when you have uh, Wagner, Brown, you know, big physical guys. Um, and I think part of it too, you know, once Xavier Simpson left, there were a lot of questions about point guard and, and things of that nature. But I think it's kind of been more of a committee thing. And I know I keep harping on Shawnee Brown, but like, I feel like he's been a really, really big energy boost and he kind of rubs off on everybody. And once he gets going, it kind of gets everybody else going. And you could see it when they were trying to come back against Minnesota, you know, he, he gets a couple stops, you know, they, they force a 10 second call, the bench is going crazy. You could tell everybody's in it. He picks up his fourth file, he goes to the bench and then Minnesota extends the lead back out. So I really think he's uh, been a great addition for them. Yeah, last thing I'll say about Michigan before we move on, I feel like what's happened with them is kind of like every Optimist fan at the beginning of the season, you know, they look at the schedule, it comes out, they look at people coming back or who's coming into the program, you're like, well, if this goes right, if so-and-so's a good player and, and is as good as the practice scouting reports say they are, and if this guy can contribute, then, you know, we might be pretty good this year. And I feel like that's exactly what's happened with Michigan. Like, all their newcomers have been great pretty much. The the guys who have returned, um, you know, looks look to have been solid so far. So they're kind of the ultimate, like, positive fan and prognostication come to life. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, like you said, the, the newcomers, I feel like Dickinson has exceeded expectations. For sure. Um, I don't think anybody saw him coming in and being, you know, like a first-team all-league guy. You know, I think people thought he'd be pretty good. Right. He, I mean, he, was, he was like a top 50 recruit, but it's not like he was, you know, some of the guys that ended up going elsewhere, like your uh, Josh Christopher, Isaiah Todd. Like, those were the guys that were supposed to be your one-and-done-looking guys. Right. And, you know, he's come in, and he's been a force. And so now I think that's allowed some of these other guys to kind of stay in the roles that are more comfortable for them. I don't know if Franz Wagner is ready to be the guy on the team. And I don't think Isaiah Livers is the guy on a type of team. And they don't have to be now because he's emerged and he's been able to take so much of the scoring pressure off of those guys and they could just play more team ball. All right. How about the team that gave him that first L, Minnesota? I am pleasantly surprised by Minnesota. Um, they weren't overwhelmingly impressive early in the season. Uh, they had some really tough losses away from home, and it's not like their home wins were, at the time, all that impactful. What is it about Richard Pitino's eighth team now that looks like it's finally clicking? I mean, there's ways to go, but it looks like he's got you know, that inside-outside game. Carr is really good. Robbins is really good. He's got some pieces around those guys. Why now, for Pitino, does he seem to have a top-20 team that can potentially stay there the rest of the season if they get some of those road issues figured out? It uh, seems like they have more depth now, uh, which is something that they haven't really had in the past. You know, normally it would be a, a Daniel Oturu with Jordan Murphy, and every once in a while they might have a third guy, but more often than not, it was just two. Uh, even last year, you know, you had Carr, but, and you had Oturu, but after that it really wasn't much of anything, and Carr was kind of erratic. But now when you add Robbins, you add Ruth Gotch, and Kosher's not even shooting well, but he's been a great defender. I mean, he's been a complete eraser on the wing. He guards the other team's best wing and pretty much takes him out of the game. And we've seen that time and again all year. But the fact that Carr's elevated his game, you know, he looks like a, a no-brainer first-team all-big-team guy. 
uh, Liam Robbins, uh, that Michigan, like both of the Michigan games, I mean, you saw he pretty much got it taken to him the first game and completely turned the tables in that second game. And so I think guys have started to learn, you know, once they got punched in the mouth, what they need to do in order to punch back. And, you know, we've certainly seen that. And, you know, we haven't even mentioned, you know, Johnson and his barrage against Iowa, which was kind of the first eye-opening win for them. They had a, a under-the-radar win against St. Louis, who looked, who's a top 25 team now, but no one really thought it at the time. But you had that win and the Iowa win, and it kind of opened some eyes. And then when they blew Michigan State out, it was like, oh, this team might be really good. And then they cemented that with the blowout over Michigan. Exactly. I mean, St. Louis can't even, I don't think, get on the floor right now. I think they're dealing with some COVID issues of their own. But the Iowa game was, uh, to me at the time, I was like, oh, that's a nice win for Minnesota. But it was kind of a, a fluke. You know, Johnson went crazy from three. It was just one of those epic collapses that can happen, but you don't expect the results to, to repeat. Instead, Minnesota is built on that. And, um, you know, Iowa and uh, Wisconsin are both teams that have had one kind of head-scratching loss, it seems like. Um, I mean, Minnesota is now, I think, way more easily forgiven, especially with how they've played at home. But uh, Maryland, who's proven to be tough and, could, and, you know, can compete on any night, is the team that knocked off Wisconsin. And Iowa and Wisconsin are two of those kind of preseason contenders that I think, you know, have shown capable of taking a punch and then bouncing back. So do you think both these teams will hang around at the top of the Big Ten? I haven't seen anything to prove otherwise. Um, you know, teams are going to lose – scratching games once in a while, but I feel like both these teams have been consistent enough in their style to keep this going, you know, till March and, and remain contenders for the Big Ten, as opposed to a team like Illinois, where they were projected to be, um, you know, top of the Big Ten contenders, Michigan State as well, uh, and our alma maters have fared much worse. So what do you think about Iowa and Wisconsin? Uh, I'd say for Iowa, my, and I know we've talked about this at nauseum, but my concern was could they defend at a high enough level to make that offense matter so much? And I still don't know if they can defend well enough to win a Big Ten title, but their offense is so elite that it might not matter. Like, I think it gets to a point where you can rely on them to score 80 pretty much every time. And you got Luca, you can pencil him in for 25 a game minimum so when you have those two things going for you as long as you're not a sieve on defense you're probably going to win you're going to have more talent than pretty much everybody else in the big 10 you know maybe illinois is more talented you know maybe michigan has more talent but other than that i mean they clearly look like the more the most talented team certainly top three and i mean if we if we really dig deep on iowa you know, they're averaging 125 points per 100 possessions. And, I mean, no, obviously it's the best in the country. But we're talking the only team better than them in the Kempom era in the Big Ten was the Kaminsky-Wisconsin team in 2015 that went all the way to the title game. So, I mean, like the super efficient offenses we've seen under John Beeline, you know, some of those, you know, Michigan State teams with Denzel Valentine and Cassius Winston, like the Evan Turner teams, like, I, this Iowa offense is better than all of those. So, like, just keep that in mind when we're watching the Hawkeyes play. You know, they got shooters everywhere. 
now they're getting a little bit more depth. Keegan Murray, you know, has really filled a void there, added some toughness. I mean, this is a really, really good team. And uh, right now, and I can't believe I'm saying it because I'm such a defensive guy, but I feel like their offense might be enough to just win the league by itself. Well, I hope Iowa fans are still listening because we had Peter Jock on this episode. So, you know, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll like to hear that. Um, another great scorer, great shooter, Peter Jock. Imagine him on this team. It'd be oh, no, right. <laughs> even more uh, <laughs> threatening. Um, all right. So another team I feel like we can't overlook is Ohio State. Um, just like every year, Holtman plugs in these pieces. He finds right. guys who can ball, gritty guys, tough guys. Uh, I mean, EJ Liddell is an absolute hooper, as we saw this past weekend. Um, and then, you know, like it doesn't matter, it seems like, with Ohio State, where the turnover happens with either guys coming and going, uh, guys getting up to speed, like Seth Towns still isn't quite all the way there. Uh, just every year he's had, like, this top 20-ish team that – has five guys on the floor that can that can hoop, and then a couple guys waiting on the bench to come in and, and contribute as well. Then you get like you know these these uh, guys coming out almost out of nowhere, like like Michi Johnson did this past weekend. So Holtman can identify players, he can bring them in, and it's it's nice to be an Ohio State hoops fan right now because I feel like in general, you know, they got their football team, they got they know that they're going to be elite every year, and then you can just if you really are an Ohio State hoops fan, count on them to be a top twenty five team every year i'm i'm envious of the, that fan base yeah i mean you know we we've talked about the demand crush i've had on chris holtman ever since he got to ohio state and again he's proven to, uh just to show how great of a coach he is and it's weird you know i felt like they were pretty good and i want to say it was toward the end of 2020 they were playing Rutgers at home and they were getting killed and I remember sending something out to uh, Dave Revson at the time about, like, you know, if Rutgers happens to win by a margin like this, it could be, like, the largest margin they've had against a, a top 25 team on the road since whenever. And they come all the way back, turn the tables, and wind up winning. And I feel like from there they've kind of taken off. You know, I know they had the, the collapse against Northwestern, but – you know, they made up for that, beat them uh, back in Columbus. They had the impressive win in Champaign. And, you know, they, they've got a guy in Dwayne Washington who's uh, one of my personal faves and irrational confidence guys, I like to say. Uh, every shot he shoots, he, you know, he thinks is going in. And I think you need some guys like that. And so when you have E.J. Liddell, you know, commanding the paint like he is, you got a Kyle Young who just does all of the dirty work. And, you know, the fact they've been able to win recently without C.J. Walker, too. I mean, let's keep that in mind. You know, he's, you know, been battling the injury, missed a couple games. So once he comes back, you know, they could be a legit contender. Yeah, and that game you mentioned against Rutgers kind of sent both teams in opposite directions. Rutgers was was uh, riding high at that point, and they're really struggling now. Um, to be fair, injuries have, have really affected them. I think guys have just been banged up starting with Baker, like, right off the top of the season. So um, I feel for them, you know, in the sense that they had this great year last year and then it poised to have a, a great year this year. They were in the top 15 or so, and it's kind of fallen off. So what do they have to do to figure it out? Can they get back on track? Um, what's, I guess, Rutgers' easiest fixes at this point to kind of straighten things out? See, and it's interesting because, you know, in the past you could always rely on Rutgers uh, defensively uh, to stay in games, you know, it was the offense that was kind of the issue. 
Uh, then it looked like the offense was rolling in that game in Columbus. And then ever since, you know, they've really, really struggled. Uh, they're really bad at the free throw line. Um, you know, they're like bottom 10 in the country at that, you know, shooting 57%. That's not going to get it done uh, no matter who you play. And, you know, they've kind of gone back to, you know, how they've been in the past where the defense, I wouldn't say, is as good as it's been but the offense hasn't been able to bridge the gap like it was earlier in the year. Like when we saw them beat Illinois and they scored 91 points, you know, they scored 81 against Purdue. They got, you know, high seventies against Syracuse. We haven't really seen that. Um, after the Iowa loss, you know, they lost that close one by two and they had 75, but since then they haven't uh, reached 70 points. They only had 45 against Michigan state, only 54 lost to Wisconsin. So they got to get, they got to shoot the ball better. And when they get to the free throw line, they got to make them count. When you're really struggling on offense, you can't afford to have those empty possessions. And, you know, right now it's just a big problem. And they're turning the ball over way too much, too. I mean, that sounds like a lot of what Illinois is going through right now. Um, defensive issues, turnover issues, terrible free throw shooting issues. Uh, you know, we talked about from the beginning of the year how this would be an interesting season with your alma mater, Michigan State and mine, Illinois, potentially competing at the top for a Big Ten title. Right now, that that is a distant uh, goal, I feel like, because Michigan State's got some COVID issues to figure out. They're on pause, I believe. Um, cause I know the Illinois-Michigan State game was canceled this upcoming Saturday. Uh, let's start with, with your guys. Um, beyond, you know, getting past this virus and, and keeping everyone healthy, what is the biggest hurdle facing the Spartans, and, and can they do what they've you know, done in the past and, and really improve and finish the season strong? Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, it's interesting right now, if you're looking at bracketsology, they're an 11 seed. And I think the last time we, that we had talked, um, they were a week after being ranked number four in the country. So a lot has changed in a not so long period of time. Uh, turnovers are a huge issue. Uh, point guard play has been has been spotty. You know, they've started A.J. Hogarth, kind of moved Rocket back to the two. Uh, but they still turn the ball over way too much. And the Purdue game, when it looked like they were starting to figure some things out, you know, they you know had the rough start to the season. I think they started 0-3, but they bounced back against Nebraska, had a big win against Rutgers, and it looked like they were going to beat Purdue, kind of start 0-3, win three in a row to get back on track. You know, they pretty much scored, I think it was four buckets the whole second half. They blow a 17-point lead, don't defend Travion Williams at all. And, you know, you just kind of saw all of their issues come out in that one game, whether it was uh, turnovers, whether it was post-defense, uh, three-point shooting, you kind of saw it all. And then, you know, they've been, been searching to find the go-to guy. You know, in years past, they've had, you know, your catches, Winston or Denzel or, you know, on and on and on. This year, you thought it might be Aaron Henry, could be Joey Hauser, but it seems like right now they don't really have an alpha where it's like, all right, jump on my back. I know stuff's not going right, but we'll figure it out. Just follow me. They don't have that guy. And so many of his really good teams have had that guy. And I don't know if that's a fixable issue at this point. Well, I hope our game gets rescheduled. I was looking forward to that, especially because I think they only have that one 
this season. So hopefully, you know, a lot of things to work through, obviously, but hopefully they can get that done. Um, talk Illinois struggles just a second here uh, before moving on, because I do want to talk about Purdue. You mentioned them, that big win, um, and kind of where the way they're trending. Uh, this could be a quickly dated conversation if Illinois loses to Penn State Tuesday night. We're recording this Tuesday afternoon, and if they lose to Penn State at home, then I think it's you know really time to evaluate like what, what's going on here. Uh, but this is coming off of two tough losses at home for for the Illini. Uh, it was Maryland last Sunday, and then Ohio State. Uh, I guess that have been two Sundays ago. Then Ohio State this past Saturday. Uh, I think anyone that watches this team can tell that the extended stretches of either great play or poor play are really costing them with the inconsistency. There will be wild runs. You know, you've seen it with a 19-0 Purdue run, 19-4 Penn State run. Northwestern saw both ends of that spectrum in the first and second halves. So just not being a consistent team is really costing them right now. Um, you mentioned turnovers, or I mentioned turnovers and free throws after you said that was plaguing Rutgers. I feel like uh, that's that's another one of Illinois' biggest issues. But one thing I want to get your insight on is a, a stats guy, and I don't know if you've noticed this this trend, but I feel like Illinois' three point percentage has been lauded by you know commentators, and and they're number eight in the country right now in three point percentage. But I, I look a little deeper into it, and they're number eight in three point percentage, which is a huge improvement from last year because they had a really tough time shooting the ball. They're number. 293 in the country in attempts relative to the total field goal. Um, so three-point attempts relative to total attempts. So, you know, in 2021 here, when, you know, your percentage is high, but you're not shooting a high volume of threes, you're playing, you might be fighting a losing battle. Because I noticed this in the Ohio State game, they would dump it down, whether it was to, to Kofi Coburn or get an easy bucket, you know, with Georgie B. And then Arns or Liddell comes down on the other side and hits a three. So when you're trading twos for threes, and it seems like Illinois does that a lot, I feel like that might be an underlying issue that they're not, they're taking a lot of long twos or dumping it down inside, slowing the game down, and then they're, you know, on these long runs getting burned because the other teams are hitting threes against them. And that, that goes back to the defensive issues that we've seen as well. Yeah, and not only that, I think during the two-game losing streak that you're talking about, uh, the Maryland game, he only shot 15. So I think that's an issue to begin with. Um, and then in the, the the Ohio State game, they were 9 for 26. So if you add it up, you're looking at 14 for 41. That's less, you know, that's about 33%. So that's, you know, a lot lower than what their season average is. And, you know, to your point, the fact that I believe it was uh, – yeah, so the point distribution-wise, like less than 28% of their points come from the three-point line. And that just can't happen when you have a lot of empty possessions as they do when you turn the ball over. Um, like you said, it's 2021. Teams are shooting a bunch of threes, and Illinois doesn't seem to be doing that. Um, and it's interesting because like, you see Iowa, and – you know, they have a dominant big man, and he still can find a way to score, and they still surround him with a bunch of shooters. And I feel like Illinois probably just needs to shoot more of them because, to your point, they're a good shooting team. They're a top 10 in the country in percentage. And for whatever reason, they don't seem to shoot them as much. Um, I'd like to see, you know, them do that a little bit more. Uh, so I, I agree with you completely on that. 
Yeah, I mean, it hurts when neither of your big guys can shoot. Like, Garza can can knock down threes. Right. Insane rate. You know, Coburn and Bishanishvili don't do that. But I will say, I feel like there's more times than I could count where Frazier or Williams or Miller have open looks and they pass it up. Or Io is an open look and they pass it up for long twos or for uh, a drive to the bucket that results in a turnover or a missed shot. So, you know, I agree. I think I think that maybe looking to sh- just pull the trigger on more of those, get more shots up, up the tempo a little bit could help. Yeah, and, and not only that, I feel like last year was a, a big strength. Illinois was so good in close games and they had that closer and Iowa figured out he hit a bunch of game winners. But you look at their games this year. You know, I mean, they survived against Ohio. But, you know, a three-point loss to Missouri, a three-point loss to Rutgers, a three-point loss to Maryland, a six-point loss to Ohio State. You know, they get in situations like they did last year, and they're losing those games instead of winning. And maybe the close losses reflect in the metrics because despite the fact that they have five losses, they're still 10th nationally in Ken Palm. They're still 7th nationally uh, in offensive efficiency. So I feel like this is still a team that, when they put it all together, it could be really dangerous. It just might not result in a Big Ten regular season title. But their the goals, you know, for late March and April, I think, could still be uh, available to them if they could figure it out. Yeah, a long way to go, and building consistency is key, I think, like we said. And, and one team that's kind of doing that, I want to touch on them before we hop off here is Purdue. Every year, H, I say, I, you know, I feel like I discount Purdue, and I never learn my lesson. Um, you know, we don't know yet if they're a tournament team, but they're certainly trending that way, I think. Freshmen like Newman and Ivy look really good. Matt Painter is just a, uh, a really great coach who knows how to plug these pieces. He kind of um, every year can get his team playing better, it seems like, almost in a fashion that, that Izzo, Izzo does, except kind of with a different brand of basketball. What are you seeing out of them? And do you think this is a uh, tournament caliber team? And, and maybe I'm putting that ceiling too low. Do, do you think they have a even higher ceiling than that once we get rolling here toward February and March? Uh, I think they're good enough to get to the tournament and win a game. I don't know if they're good enough to get past that. But considering, you know, the questions that they had coming in, I still think, you know, relying on a lot of youth, you know, outside of Trevion Williams. So the fact that they're able to do this, uh, considering what they've lost in the last couple of years, goes to show how good of a coach Matt Painter is. And when Trevion Williams stays out of foul trouble, they're really, really good. I mean, we we saw it in the Michigan State game. You know, he was pretty much a non-factor for the first half, completely carried them in the second half, got out of there with a win. Uh, We saw it the other day against Penn State. You know, he only played six minutes in the first half, but foul trouble, he comes back in. And now he's a threat to score in the post. He's a great passer out of the post, so you have to respect that. And just the way that Painter's offense is, there's guys moving all the time. And so when Williams gets going, it allows other people to get going. And, you know, I feel like Purdue – and they always play really good defense, as we know. That's always a staple of theirs. So I think Purdue right now, I think they're an eight seed, according to Mike DeCourcy. That feels about right. We're going to find out a lot more about them next three games, Ohio State, Michigan, Minnesota, all ranked. So we'll we'll see, you know, if they can get one or two of those, I think they're feeling really good about the tournament. All right, H, well, we'll cut it there. Um, a lot of good discussion. 
And uh, hopefully, you know, things by the time we talk next, things can stabilize a little bit with the COVID situation and get back to a regular schedule. And, um, you know, hope to see some more good basketball because it was, you know, we have a great league this year and it's been a lot of fun to watch. So just want to minimize the disruptions, obviously. And uh, we'll continue to talk about it as we as we roll toward March. Uh, Hope you're holding up well and appreciate you joining as always. Yeah, no problem, man. And and I'm glad you mentioned just the league in general. might hijack some some time here to kind of, you know, kind of end it on this note. And so, you know, this this week there's only six ranked teams only in the uh, in the AP poll from the league, but it's still the most of any league. And I found it interesting as I was looking back through every week, the most any other conferences had in a week is six, and it, which is the ACC was done it twice and. I believe it's been nine rankings and we've had at least six every week. You know, we've got 10 teams currently in the tournament. No one else has more than eight, you know, 12 Ken Palm top 50 teams. And, you know, we talked about Minnesota. I mean, their first eight games in conference were all against ranked teams. You know, I mean, that's unheard of. It just shows how deep this league is. And, you know, I think that's part of the struggles that, you know, the Illinois and Michigan States have had is, you know, they get in a rut and guess what? You got another ranked team coming up and you got to figure it out. And so I think a lot of times you're just trying to survive and just get one win. And hopefully you can push that into two and three. It's just a really, really hard league this year. Yeah, very well said. Um, excited to continue watching it and excited to get to March. And hopefully, you know, we can have a March Madness with no disruptions and, uh, and see the, the conference recognize at full potential this year because it'd be a shame to see any of that go to waste so fingers crossed and uh looking forward to it h talk soon man sounds good man thanks all right thanks as always to harold for joining the show thanks again to peter jock um, i want to give a shout out to our producer julie bronder who stitches the show together each and every episode uh i want to remind everyone out there if you're tuning in for the first time or coming back that we are available on the major plat- podcast platforms, your Apple Podcasts, your Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Podbean. And if you want to see these interviews, you can find them on YouTube. We are on YouTube, the Big Ten Network's YouTube channel. There is a Take Ten podcast playlist. All of these interviews um, are now done on Zoom. So the guests are uh, recorded and, and the interview plays out there as well. If you sit at your computer at work or sitting at home on your phone and want to want to watch the videos um, it's fun I think to see the subjects and the reactions to my uh, my dumb questions sometimes so head on over there if you want to do that subscribe leave comments ratings reviews all that good stuff all right we'll wrap it up and hopefully get back to you soon with another episode another great guest uh, until then stay healthy stay safe and we will talk to you next time here on the take 10 podcast